Hebrews 11. Uh, yeah, it looks like Alexander's phone. Um, not under any uh, any false assumption that we're going to make much progress tonight going through Hebrews 11, but we're going to introduce it. We're going to we're going to talk about it. We may not we may not do much more than just um, <laughs> verse one. But, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so we need uh, we need to read. How about the first six verses? Who's got them? I can do it. All right, go ahead. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. You want me to go to four? Uh, yeah, through six maybe. Okay. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay, thanks, Brian. Um, Yeah, so, okay, we have, um, just stepping back a little bit, very basic, broad review. Hebrews is about. Okay, that's uh, that's specific. What's what is your? Okay. Yeah. So, including that which you just said, April. Um, it's about the preeminence of Christ, isn't it? It's about Christ being greater than anything and everyone associated with um, associated with the Old Covenant. We have him better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than Levi, um, Melchizedekian priesthood, greater than the Levitical uh, priesthood. We spent quite a lot of time looking at that. Better, better blood, better promises, better sacrifice, better everything. So he lays that out. Now, that's kind of what it's about, but to what end? Yeah, so uh, to the end that they would not turn back, to the end that they would not abandon Christ um, to go back to the Old Covenant. So we've been... I mean, this has just been our life, hasn't it? This la- these Friday nights over the last probably year. When did we start this? When did we start this? Have we been at this a year or more? It's been a well, well over a year. <laughs> well over a year. Because Anchor started in Hebrews, right? Oh, yeah. She wasn't here. did it. And I remember that January Facebook post. Yeah. January 2019 said, we're continuing through Hebrews. Come join us. It started January. I thought it started when it was January. It was after New Year's. It had to be a year. So almost a chapter a month. Oh, it had to be a year. So a little over a year, right? All right, a little little over a year. Yeah, so so frankly, I mean, just from my standpoint, I I love this book. I've gone through it many times. I've read it many times. I just love to revel, sort of just continuing to revel in the truth of... um, of Hebrews, um, just practically, from a from a real practical standpoint, um, the writer of Hebrews is is desiring to make us into certain kind of people. We we really he's got a, an agenda. His agenda is to make us into the kind of people who are not. Um, 
who are not drawn to the trappings of comfort, security, leisure, just the kind of things that, the, that people live for, right? Um, he wants us to be free of all of those things. He wants us to be people who know that life is short. He wants us to be people who know that we only have one shot at it. And we, and we, and we, we need to be the kind of people that are not going to waste that um, in the pursuit of stuff that doesn't matter. That's really what his agenda is really all about. Um, at the end of the day, what's done for Christ, right? What's done for Christ matters. Uh, at the end of the day, knowing Christ and a life lived in obedience to him, really at the end of the day, that's all that counts. It's all that counts. And he wants us to be the kind of people who are motivated uh, by that. And so uh, going down through uh, the 10th chapter, we saw very, very strong warnings, right? From verse 26 down through verse 31, really strong warning. We won't go back and revisit any of that, but that strong warning then was followed by really um, great encouragement. And the encouragement is uh, remember those days in which you endured a great conflict of suffering and you associated with those who suffered, uh, who were in prison. And what's more, you are the kind of people that gladly accepted the seizure of your property. Um, it's, a pretty, it's a big statement. You know, I think when we read that in chapter 10, it probably convicts all of us. I'm not sure that we are where these people were, where they had their eyes so fixed on the eternal possessions that were theirs in Christ that they would just gladly accept the seizure of their earthly stuff and do it with joy. That's, that's just a huge statement. So now the writer is saying, look, this is who you were. This is what you did. Don't throw away your confidence, right? Don't, don't turn back now. You've done so well. You're enduring. You've, you, you've been running to the point where you've been willing to do that, even gladly doing that. Uh, you have been enduring all for the name of Christ. Uh, what you need now is endurance, right? So just keep, that's, just keep running. Don't shrink back. Uh, and then the and then the promises after you've done the will of God, you will receive um, the promise. All right. So when when you come down toward the end of chapter ten, he brings so faith, right? Faith becomes the focus as you come down through the end of chapter ten. We looked at this last week. The quotation here is out of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, and I think we went back and took a look at that in Habakkuk, where the statement is, my righteous one will live by faith, right? And, uh, and, that, and that really is going to be the, the springboard that's going to take us through chapter 11, right? He, he introduces it at the end of chapter 10, um, and maybe we could say it this way, the, the power to be joyful in the midst of suffering, trial, and sacrifice is knowing that you have a better and lasting possession. If you, if you don't live with that confidence and in the reality of that, then you're always going to think that in this life, as a Christian, you are missing out. In Christ, as a Christian, you're you are uh, you're not enjoying all that this life has to offer. You're you're losing out in this right, life. Like Paul said, eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah, right. If if this is not if you don't have this reality fixed firmly in mind, in terms of uh, 
knowing that you have a better and more lasting possession, then this is going to be um, really hard because you're going to be wondering, why don't we just eat and drink uh, for tomorrow we die? And this is, um, this, is really, this is really bringing us then into chapter 11. Um, um, Hebrews is written to give foundation to the hope of a life lived in radical, risk-taking, sacrificial love. Right? And that's what he's been doing. You could ask the question now, uh, at this stage in the, in the study, what more could he do for us to help us be the kind of people who would live in a radical, risk-taking, sacrificial, joyfully accepting seizure of your property kind of people? How, what more could he do for us? What more could he give us? Um, and, and that question then is going to be answered uh, in chapter 11. He can do more for us. He can help us more. He can help you, he can help you more to be the kind of person he wants you to be as a radical, risk-taking, sacrificial, joyful, enduring kind of person in in spite of all of the trials and difficulties in life. Chapter 11 answers, what more can he do for us? Well, he can give us a bunch of examples of people who are no different than us, who did what he's calling us to do. He's going to just he's just going to roll out tons of examples of people who laid hold of future reward stuff and because of the their willingness to lay hold of the future reward realities they were willing to sacrifice uh, in this life. So when you come to chapter 11 that's really the context. Look, this chapter is meant to deepen our confidence in God's promise so that you turn from the fleeting pleasures of sin, that you would turn from from a life lived in the pursuit of comfort, leisure, security, to be a person who would be willing to live in radical obedience. Um, With the foundation of that radical obedience being your hope in God's promises. All right? I don't know how to set it up any more than that. I think that that's what's going on. Oh, by the way, you want to forget the chapter divisions. Um, Let's just read this passage without reference to the chapter division. Go to verse 38. Um, And then just just be really aware of the reality that these chapter divisions were inserted by a traveling monk riding horseback. Um, Every time the donkey stopped, he was willing to insert a chapter break and he was probably drinking. All right, so verse 38, go ahead. Down Down through verse three of chapter 11. 1038. Yeah. Whom the world was not worthy, wandering about deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Uh, 1038? I did not say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we did radical hyperdrive to get to the... Yeah. Woo! We got six months before we get to that part. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and he, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the conviction, oh my gosh, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their condemnation. Oh 
like, I can't do it today. You got Condemnation. It. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. Okay, so you do you do get it. You see you see what's going on. This is an example of one of the worst chapter breaks in the history of uh, chapter breaks. This this is not a new uh, thing that he's beginning in chapter eleven. This is continuing on, and so uh, and so. I would say, wouldn't you agree? Hebrews eleven has got to be the most familiar chapter to anyone who's even remotely familiar with Hebrews. And it might be the most familiar chapter of any chapter in the New Testament. We just, there's nobody that doesn't know something about Hebrews 11 in reference to the great faith chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, maybe love chapter. Uh, Hebrews 11, the, the faith chapter. So, very famous chapter. Uh, the righteous one, the just one, uh, believers, Christians are called to live by faith. That's our calling, to live by faith. So, if we're going to be called to live by faith, to endure in faith, um, we have to know a little something about faith. And we also are going to be given a list of Old Testament saints who live by faith uh, in spite of persecution and suffering. Um, the writer is going to use, uh, the right, when you look at verse 1, the writer is going to use uh, two parallel statements to describe faith, Right? He's going he's gonna to tell us uh, that the people of God have always gained approval by faith. Um, and verse 3, an example or an illustration of faith as it relates to our understanding of what God has made, even as you would look at creation itself. But then in verses 4 down through the rest of the chapter, 4 through 40, uh Hero after hero of the faith, right? He's going to make an argument that enduring faith, living by faith, is um, ha has been the characteristic of God's people throughout all of redemptive history, from the very beginning. Old Testament saints live by believing, enduring, trusting faith. That's chapter 11. Um and then a final application of all that is going to come in chapter 12. In Christ, we have come by faith to an immovable, unshakable, new covenant kingdom and reality. A Mount Zion, a heavenly Jerusalem, myriads of angels, spirits of righteous men made perfect. We have come to Jesus, right? That's, that's going to be sort of the capstone on where all of this argument is going. Then remember that the writer used um, the wilderness generation in chapter 3 as an example of what not to do. Right? But they did not live by faith. They did not trust God. They were an example of unbelief. Now he's going to use these examples of Old Testament saints that actually were faithful, living by faith, and obedient. And both those examples then both what it, what not to do, wilderness generation, and what to do, positively, Old Testament saints, both of them work then together to show us what, um, what a life lived by faith looks like and how it's pleasing to God, all right? Uh, so that's my that's my big intro into into the chapter. I, it's important, I think, that we lay that foundation. So the verse, the first seven verses, it's going to focus on uh, those who lived prior to the flood. Verses eight through twenty-two, the faith of the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Twenty-three through thirty-one, the faith of Moses and Joshua, and then thirty-two through forty. Uh, really interesting, miscellaneous Old Testament saints. 
Um, and frankly, a lot of very unlikely examples, right? If we were writing this chapter, my confidence is that we probably wouldn't name some of the ones who are named in this. Eric, What's that? Eric? Yeah, you're right. I want to talk about Jephthah. Jephthah. Yeah, well, we'll get there. <laughs> Thank God for Jephthah. Jephthah. Otherwise, we'd all be lost. Stupidest yeah. person in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite an interesting thing. Um, so we should, we should have just, hey, these are unlikely. Samson, for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> unlikely examples. But I do think that they're provided for us so that we can, we can have hope, right? I mean, don't you feel that? I mean, if these guys can make it into this chapter, there's hope for Tony. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jeff. Me and Jeff. There's hope. I, mean, I think that's precisely the point. Um, yeah, right? Man, we're not looking at super saints here. I mean, we're looking at really cracked, flawed messed up people who somehow make it into this chapter to give, well, people like you and I hope. Okay, well, that's how the chapter breaks down. So let's do this. Let's just look at the first verse. Again, I'm not sure how far we'll get tonight, but there are things to say here. Um, I did wrestle all day with wondering how, how tightly to press in. Uh, obviously, we could just read through it and just touch on the high points, but I do think there are things here that we should be uh, aware of and things that we should try to unpack a little bit. So the first verse, notice. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. These are the two parallel statements. The parallel statements, faith begins... So when you think about faith, right? So what we're going to... Um, you could, We could actually do this from the standpoint in which we are actually going to do it, and that is to try to explain it, to try to lay it out with words of explanation. We, you could do it that way, and that's important. I was also, I was also just tempted to say, well, look at, the, look, at the, look at the saints that were willing to walk to a stake, be tied there with the wood all around them and be lit on fire, refusing to recant the faith, saying things like, Brother Ridley, play the man. For today, we will light such a candle in England that will not soon be put out. What is it? What is it that gives a person that sort of mentality as they're getting ready to be burned alive at the stake, right? Now that's the easiest way to understand what's going on in verse one. You look at that because that's actually the illustration of what this verse is saying. Um, but like many Bible teachers and preachers, there's still words that are needed to be said, I think, to explain it, all right? If, they, if the explanation is confusing, you don't get it, then just think of Latimer and Ridley, and you'll at least have a picture of what it looks like. Um, I, obviously, when you think about faith, faith begins with knowledge. You, you can't believe what you don't know. there must be some knowledge of the object of your faith, right? Faith just by itself is meaningless. It's, there's, there's, it's a nothing. It, there's no power in it. It's a meaningless thing. It's not really about faith. It's about the object of your faith. And you have to know something about the object of your faith. And then you have to make an ascent um, that that knowledge that you have about that object is actually true. It's one thing to have knowledge. 
It's another thing to, uh, to believe it. <laughs> All right. So, so the writer starts, he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. All right? That's what we're going to think about just for a second. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, I was going to get into all kinds of issues with this word assurance because it's a difficult Greek word and it's translated in about a thousand different ways in the, in the New Testament, in the Septuagint, uh, when Luther was translating the Bible into German, he had no idea what to do with this word hypostasis. What does it mean? Um, it's, a word, it's, it's translated in chapter 1, verse 3, with a completely different word than the word that it's translated with here. That's just an example of the difficulty of the translation. Uh, literally, uh, to stand under. Hupo, it's a compound word. Hupo is preposition under and stasis, to stand. It's, it's to stand under. Um, it could be thought of as something like a foundation. You're standing on something as a, as a foundation. That might help us a little bit. It certainly speaks of the ground on which one builds a hope or a confidence. So the idea is that the faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. The word carries. Not, because see, this still doesn't, we're not there yet, are we? Because um, you could still, you could begin wrestling with whether or not this is an objective. Um, is this an objective idea or is it a subjective idea? Because this, the semantic range of the word could be both objective or subjective. Um, so the word carries, and what I'm going to propose to you and submit to you is that the word carries an objective idea. Faith gives tangible reality to the objects of hope, right? Hope. Hope and faith working together. But faith gives a tangible reality to the object of our hope. You say, well, I don't understand that. That's confusing. Ridley and Latimer. Again, that's going to be, what does that look like? It looks like that. Even if you can't define it or understand it, it's still at the end of the day going to look like joy when you're getting ready to be burnt at the stake. There's not something subjective going on. There's an objective reality in the, in the hope that you are looking toward. It's the ground that you're building your, your life on. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I looked up Tyndale with Tyndale, how he transcribed it. Okay. He said, faith is a sure confidence. The assured confidence? Faith is a sure confidence of things which are hoped for and a certainty of things which are not seen. So he refers to it as a sure confidence. Okay, that helps us. No, that helps us. Look, the difficulty here is that uh, is it, it, it's, it's making real something that is unseen, something that has been unexperienced, something that could be considered unreal, right? You live in a world filled with people who believe that you are complete idiots for believing as real something that they would regard as unreal. But going back to where you started with, you can't believe what you don't know, this all, the foundation of all of this is revelation. There's no faith without God revealing something about who he is to us. Yep. So there has to be that initial foundation before faith, and then that tangible reality is really just hearkening back to the foundation. Yep. Um, because I don't want to scroll to, and I'll get lost as I start scrolling. I um, That's where we're going to go. Okay. Yeah, that's... 
That's where this discussion is, is, is heading, right? And uh, we'll probably get there pretty quick. Here's one commentator. Um, Faith is a guarantee of the heavenly realities for which we hope. Not only does it render them certain for us, but it envisions them as rightly belonging to us. It is in itself an objective assurance and a definite enjoyment of them. Consequently, faith takes possession. I like that. Faith takes possession by anticipation of the heavenly blessings and is a genuine commencement of the divine life with the guarantees of its everlasting permanence. Well, I read that a few times today. I think that gets us down the road considerable, considerably. Um, when you think about what the writer is saying in verse 1. Hypostasis. It could be translated, by the way, anybody have a translation guarantee? It is a guarantee. I think that's what you... Didn't your sheer confidence? Sheer confidence. All right. Uh, it's a word that could actually be translated guarantee. It's a guarantee. Uh, by the way, which is some, which has led some translations. Faith is. Anybody have title deed? All right. If you were gonna, I don't know which translations do this, but some translations actually have title deed. Title deed. That helps us some. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Faith is a foundation, a guarantee of what we hope in. So it it turns those things, all right? So here it is. It turns those things that to us are yet future. It turns those things into present realities. So certain are we that we will receive what God has promised that it is as, it is as, it is as if they were ours already. All right? Again, I'm not sure what that means, but I know what it looks like. Ridley Latimer. It looks like that. And that's exactly what uh, I believe this is saying. The title deed, it's as good as mine. Future, I believe it. The things hoped for are real. All the promised blessings are mine. And all my hope is in that, right? So so, uh, so this is all about hope. And we did some work with this last week, didn't we? We went back and looked at several passages that connected the idea of faith and what, and, and, and what we believe by faith to a certain hope um, that, is, that is involved in it. So hope. Hope is the sum total of God's promises which encompass both the present and future which have been preserved for us by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. These promises are ours by faith. So that's how faith and hope are related. Faith is viewed as related to hope, and hope has necessarily to do with these things that are unseen. And we looked at Romans 8.24. That was one of the cross-references we looked at. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Um, Hope is reinforcing the present. Being informed by the prospect of the future. And for Ridley and Latimer, the future was going to happen in about five minutes. Right? But it was that future certainty 
where they just knew that tonight we're going to dine in the presence of Christ that gave them the boldness to go through the fire. That hope That's definitely a of what is unseen. Faith. Yeah. And we're still holding on to April's statement that's kind of, it's hanging out here that we're gonna that we're gonna grab a hold of um, because it's supernatural, but it's not a mystical thing. It's it's there's an objective foundation and reality to that hope and faith. All right, so. Uh, We have a confident trust in the God who has promised. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's the thing. God has promised, and we have a confident trust in that promise. And that confident trust is called faith. And that's the title deed by which the promises of God become ours. By the way, that's why in verse 6, the writer says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay, so, so this is the this is the first half of the statement. It's the first line, the parallel, and I'm and I'm arguing that these are parallel thoughts. The next line is the conviction of things not seen. Conviction. There's a semantic range that can include again both subjective and objective reality. It could be sort of an interpersonal conviction, right? I have this interpersonal conviction. That, li- that lines up with the reality of s- being subjective. It's just an interpersonal conviction. Or something like proof or demonstration would be more of an objective reality. Uh, so is faith an inner conviction of things not seen? Or is faith the proof, evidence, or demonstration of things not seen? Right? You have to wrestle with that when you look at this passage. And since the two lines in verse 1 are parallel, and the first is objective, my argument would be the second is objective as well. It's more going on than just having it sort of a unshakable inner confidence. There's a proof. There's a demonstration. There's something objective that's happening. The assurance, the foundation, the guarantee um, is, is now the evidence. All right? Um, the conviction or proof of things hoped for and the things hoped for uh, are precisely the things not seen. And now April's idea, right? What is all this about? I mean, what... Um, biblically speaking, faith is not blind. Right, so there's way go- there's way more going on than this sort of internal kind of subjective confidence. Way more going on than that. Um, biblically speaking, faith is not blind. It is actually a kind of knowing, a kind of certainty. It's a it's, there's a there's an an objective knowing and certainty now. We know how that sounds, right, in, in the culture that we live in. This is, this is right at the point of the disconnect between a Christian and a non-Christian. When the, when the world hears us talk like this, they're going to conclude that we are out of our minds. It's a very, very strange thing that lands on the ears of otherwise really intelligent, smart, scientifically sophisticated kind of people. It's just because we've been brainwashed into a naturalist, materialistic culture. 
Yeah. Or the only things that are real are things that you can actually yeah. touch and see. And that's where we live. Yeah, that's where we live. And so just as faith is the title deed, so faith is also the certainty of how we know what we know. Faith, faith is the certainty of how and why we know what we know. And, um, and that's where the problem comes because we have difficulty with this concept just precisely because of what April said. We have a very modern, uh, sophisticated, sort of elevated view of the different ways of knowing what we know. And this gets into the uh, whole, this gets into the whole subject of empiricism, right? Um, empiricism. What does that word mean? Or what's the idea of empiricism? Hmm. Hey, Siri. It's, it's proof based off of observation. So okay. Empirical evidence is observation. You can have to be able to observe it. Okay. Um, how do we know? How do we know what we know? How do you really know anything? How do you know what you know? And um, and as was just reminded to us, we we live in a culture that has exalted human reason as a means by which we can know truth. Um, we, we, have, we have people who believe that you can only know what you know by means of empirical observation. I can see it. I can put it in a scientific laboratory. I can mix it up in the test tubes and I can pour it out and, and there it is. It's, it has to be sensory. I, I can feel it, I can see it, I can taste it, I can touch it. And, uh, and so empiricism, uh, in, in the world that we live in, empiricism, since the Enlightenment, is, uh, is the only way we can know anything. So they say. We observe it, therefore we know it. But go ahead. They're trying to get there through the soul versus we get there through the spirit. Does that and, make sense? Yeah. Uh, if you want to unfold that, go ahead. Oh, that was unfolded. I just did. Bottom up, right? First, top down. Like, yeah. you start with me, and then what do I see? What, what is the world around me? Versus starting above. With, like, like the scripture right. says, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit yeah. of God. The natural man would be the soul, because their spirit being dead because of Adam and Eve's. Follow the garden. Right. Um, and along with all of this, and what makes this even more complicated is that we live uh, with incredibly advanced brains, so amazingly sharp, filled with knowledge. Um, and we are evidently comfortable with being the source of our own authority through our reason and rationale. The wisdom of the wise. The wisdom of the wise. And that becomes the standard um, by which anything is judged as being true. The reality, however, is that knowledge that comes by faith is not the independent, autonomous knowledge that, um, that has its source in fallen, fallible, sinful um, Man, right? That that becomes that that becomes the problem. That's the part of this equation that is not recognized by very big, brainy, sophisticated, reasonable, rational people who evidently feel very, very confident that they themselves can be the source of their own truth and the judge of it. That the technological advancements that we have and the medical advancements that we have today have deluded people into believing that they're more intelligent than people of the past and they're conflating knowledge and wisdom as if those things are synonymous. I think so. Yeah, I wouldn't argue against that. Look, the problem, we've elevated human reason, right? Because we are such an advanced uh, culture and society and we're just such smart people and all of the advances that we've made and 
and all of that. And, and so we've, we've elevated human reason to the level that we have, um, that we have, uh, that it's escaped us. Um, the truth of Romans chapter one, verse uh, 18 and following, right? Um, man, because of our sin, because of our fallenness, we do something very objective to truth. And that is what? We suppress it. We are, we are truth suppressors. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Um, so, and, 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 and so you see how, how silly it is for biblically informed Christians to step into a classroom at UNLV with some uh, egghead professor who's got a lot of letters behind their name, who's going to tell you that he knows exactly when the Big Bang happened. And, and, uh, and you can tell, and you can say, pray tell, you must have been there. Tell me all about it, right? You must, you must have been there. You, you, you have this incredible insight based upon observation, rationality, Tradition, um, faith is not dependent upon the reason or rationality of man. Now, when you hear that, you might object and say, well, um, then faith is unreasonable or faith is irrational. And is that what we're suggesting? Faith is not unreasonable. Faith is not irrational. Faith is a knowledge that is dependent upon God and his word. There it is, April, all the way back to what you said 20 minutes ago. We're there. That's where this is going to land. At the end of the day, faith is reasonable, faith is rational, because it's dependent upon God and the truth of his word. It is the certainty of knowing something based upon what God has said in his word. And is that not a more certain knowledge than some speculation of man based upon their own fallen perspectives, right? That's that's what we're that's what we would argue back to those who would say that we are crazy. So, well, I think it's crazy to depend upon your own reason or rational speculation than it is upon God and his word. Now, you know where the conversation is going to go at this point, right? You, you've been there enough to know what the very next step in this conversation looks like. What is it? How do you know that it's God's How word? do you know? How do you know that it's God's word? And here's the reality. They will want to discredit you because you are going to suggest uh, something that sounds to them like circular reasoning, circular arguments. I believe it because God said it. God said it. God, God doesn't lie. God has given us his truth and the word. Well, how do you know that it's true? Um, because I, I, believe, I believe it's true. This is God's word. And they're going to say, well, that's ridiculous. That's a circular... Or I believe it's true because God has opened my ears and eyes to see that it's true. And he hasn't yours. Yeah. Here's Which what you... Like. Yeah, no, no, that's... That's, that's probably even worse. That's advanced <laughs> the discussion. What's that? So it's probably received even worse than that. Yeah, yeah. But this is where, this is where the conversation is going to go. But don't, but don't allow them this because the reality is that everyone operates from the position of presuppositions and assumptions. Mm -hmm. Even those who don't think they do mm -hmm. are assuming that they... Don't. Yeah, though, even those who say they don't are assuming something that um, they do. Um, Everyone has faith in something. They have their preconceived 
they are presupposing that they don't do what they are accusing you <laughs> of doing. Stop. I need to, I need to stop. They're presupposing that they don't, period. Okay, there you go. We got it. All right. So what could be what could possibly be more certain foundation for knowledge than the God who cannot lie, right? So we 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 believe by faith in the truth of a God who cannot lie. And again, that's circular reasoning. Well, everyone has an assumption and everyone's reason is in a circle. So here's the question is the starting point of your circle true? Um, there's all kinds of work you can do here. I mean, th- there are some good works in terms of evidential apologetics that do help us. There's reasons why, believe, why we believe the Bible to be uh, the Word of God. Really excellent reasons, just on a, on a purely evidential, from an evidential standpoint. However, at the end of the day, no debate and no evidence is going to convince an unbeliever that the Bible is, in fact, the word of God and true and accurate and is um, worthy of you banking your life on it. That's the problem with evidentialism is that it's still relying on human reason. That's right. Instead of just saying, this is what God has revealed. Right. People's eyes are remaining shut. I mean, God came down and people still didn't believe. I mean... I definitely can't convince someone of Jesus himself can't convince someone. So not only didn't believe but murdered him. Yeah. Willoughby Bachum Bachum, yeah. Gave a good thing which I took down because next time somebody asked me this was do you can I read this? It's short. Yeah, sure. I choose to believe the Bible because the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. We have over 53,000 documents, more than any other religion has, dating from the first century on. It was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a bit of Aramaic. The Bible was written by over 40 authors from multiple walks of life, from fishermen to kings and prophets, who gave us 66 volumes or books covering hundreds of various subjects. These books were written over a period of more than 1,500 years. This makes a reliable collection of historic documents. Okay. And, uh, and, that would be, and that would be the reality of the statement. There are really good reasons to believe the Bible is, in fact, true in God's Word. And they're, and they're, they're solid. Um, you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to believe the Bible is true. However, at the end of the day... None of those things are going to convince uh, an, uns- an unsafe person. So we're back to Calvin. We're back to John Calvin, who, uh, who said, you don't need for someone to prove this is God's word any more than you need someone to explain um, what sweet is or bitter. Do you need somebody to explain to you the difference between sweet and bitter? You, you, you don't need somebody to do that. Um, do you need somebody to explain to you the difference between light and dark? You don't need somebody to explain that to you. You, you get it. Just put the honey on your tongue, and if you don't get it, there's nothing I can do for you. Um, you turn the lights on, and you know the lights are on. You don't need to, somebody to explain why you should believe the lights are on. They're just on. You see it. And that's it. So Calvin would say, you take the Bible, you read it, and if you don't get it, I can't help you. God has to open your eyes that you would see the truth. That's, that's presuppositional, covenantal apologetics. And we just need to start there. <clears throat> Jeff, does the parable of the rich, or... Whether it's a parable or not, but does the story of rich man and Lazarus really help? Because at the end, yeah. he goes, mm. even if someone raised from the they have the law and the prophets, yeah. even if someone raised was raised from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Yeah. So I mean, it really kind of puts a damper on. Uh, I am going to give you all these historical facts yeah. and stuff, and then convince you to be a Christian. If only I just 
was a little smarter, articulated a little bit better than I'm not. And yet God can use Good those point. things to sure. start drawing a person. Because I think his Absolutely. name, Nabil, he was a Muslim guy that... Um, Nabil Correction. Yeah, it was these things right here that convinced him to go start reading the Bible. Right. But so God can use, yeah, God can use those things. Absolutely. But it does Jack? take a burden off us. To no, oh, yeah. So yeah. It's not our witnessing we preach the gospel. Yeah, no, just be says. ready with an answer. Right. Yeah, you hear different stories. I mean, Josh McDowell uh, would qualify as one like this. Uh, he talks about a guy named Simon Greenlee or Simon Greenlee or something like that. Um, scientifically minded guy who was going to set out to disprove the resurrection and began studying the resurrection. And in the process of that, got saved, right? We, intellectually, you can't explain that away. So... So here, so, all right, so full circle, back around. Though the blessings promised, right, are yet unseen. We haven't seen them. They're, we hope in them. We, we have our eyes on them, but we've not seen them. They're not yet revealed. Faith is convinced that they're real and that they've been promised and fulfilled through Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and, it, and it gives us hope and knowledge of that that is absolutely unassailable. It's unassailable. So you can go to the stake, be burned, and it not shake you because your knowledge in what you believe fulfilled through Christ and the truth of God's word is unassailable. This is Paul's reality. This is where Paul lived. Um, the suffering of this present time were not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. That's exactly where he lived. We hope because we believe. Hope vanishes in the absence of faith. So faith is the evidence, that is, faith is the basis of hope. But what is the basis of faith? Knowledge. Knowledge. And that has its foundation in... Revelation. The revelation of God, the promises that he makes through the truth of his word. Um, and the first readers of this letter had their faith and hope set on Christ. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's where this is. So back to Jordan's question, I think a little earlier, this comment. I always like what Jesus said, if you believe, then you would know. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Or he says, you can't hear me because your father is the devil. Yeah. You're not my sheep. You're not my sheep. You don't know me. Not, yeah. You believe you that you're you my sheep. Believe. Well, it's a good reason to be bold. I mean, Sherry and Jordan were talking about some good stuff, but it really takes the pressure off you. And for people who are praying for boldness, know that, you know, the burden isn't on you to convince because Jesus himself, <laughs> you know, was around these unbelievers who never ended up believing and we're just called to worry about ourselves and be faithful and do what we're supposed to do. And we could be planting seeds or we could be keeping more judgment on them, but we're just being obedient. Hmm. Can I read the scripture? Yeah, good, good statement, Ashley. Yeah, go ahead. It's uh, Matthew 16. Um, 15, 16, 17, Jesus asked uh, them, uh, who do you say that I am? He says unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Yeah. And so then he goes on to say, and I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I don't, he's not saying upon Peter being the rock, but I think he's upon that revelation. 
Yeah, upon Revel- P- Peter's confession. Church. Sure. Yeah, you have that passage. You also have the Matthew 11 passage where Jesus says, thank you, Father, that you've revealed these things, um, that you've not revealed these things to the wise and intelligent, but you reveal them to babes. Um, so we understand that this is God's work in opening our eyes uh, to, to his truth. You know, I just kind of like to go back to Hebrews 4 too. Um, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Okay. So on the other side. Okay. Yeah, good. All right, so 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 we're there. All right, Here, here's what, and we're about done now. I, so the writer, at this point, all right, after having established this foundation, at this point, the writer then recounts selected examples of what faith had already enabled men uh, like us to do, or to bear, right? And that's going to be the rest of chapter. So the faith is the evidence of unseen realities and the events. Faith is the evidence of the unseen realities and an events. The faith gives us a kind of certainty so that believing God's promises cause us to do things um, like go to the stake with joy, be cast to the lions with joy, accept the seizure of our property, uh, based upon things that we have not seen. And this is the whole point. Now, I want to show you this in verse 7. And I just picked this this out of verse 7 because it gives us, I think, the clearest example of, of that statement. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So, God told Noah about some unseen future event called the flood. And based upon that future event being told by him, by God, but by him it was unseen, Unseen, God just told him, Noah steps out in faith, believing God's word. Unseen, but believing God's word, he steps out of faith and he obeys. Um, and that's, and that's, that gets us there. That gets us all the way there. We, we believe the promises of God by faith. And we're equipped then to venture out courageously supported by the promises of God that is what faith does that's what faith does imagine the undertaking that Noah had to go through to build that ark I mean it was enormous and then the fact that it never rained before and then people ridiculing him every single day for years until he was able to finish it <laughs> Can you imagine? And That's faith. Even though his property wasn't seized, he everything he had, he lost. He gave up. Kind of like, yeah. well, he gave up everything. Yeah. And if he was wealthy, and he may have been, he may have had sheep and flocks and uh, whatever all, he had a home, mm-hmm. everything that he had, he let it all go to obey Christ. Yeah. yeah. A long time for yeah. faith. And are you glad for descendants to know <laughs> <That's laughs> so what an amazing shot. You know, that, I mean, can you imagine being descended from him that everybody else has died and we're here? That's like hitting the lottery twice. <laughs> all right. So Noah, Noah, along with all of these other Old Testament saints are going to be paraded out in front of us. They had strong faith. Uh, They had God-glorifying faith. They were actually, in verse 2, for by it, faith, that is by faith, the men of old gained approval. They were approved. They were accepted. They were pleasing to God by faith alone. They saw 
the unseen realities of God's promise, and they believed. And they were willing to sacrifice everything to abandon all comforts and cushions, securities. They became radical risk-takers for the glory of God. And so then, I guess, uh, for us, just as we close, we have to ask ourselves the hard question, right? Which is? I'm sorry? That's the hard question. I mean, that's the, hard, that's the question that we have to ask. Are we living our life by that kind of faith? Is that what our lives look like? Are you walking by faith, believing the promises of God? which are yes and their amen in Christ. Faith is the evidence upon which we act in the midst of trials and the storms of life. Are we living, believing the promises of God? This is, this is, it doesn't get more practical than that in terms of what our Christian life looks like. It is the basis on which we live our lives. Uh, and, it, and it becomes the catalyst that gonna, that's going to lead us into the life to come, into the reality of the full experience of the promises that God has given us. Um, yeah, so that's it. Full stop. We pick up at verse 3 uh, next week. Any thoughts or comments? If we Other questions? I've had fun looking at this. I hope, uh, I hope you find it to be helpful. Yeah, it was good. All right. I hope you can appreciate why we didn't make a lot of progress. Okay. It's a lot to talk about. It's a lot going on here. Okay, so, Father, thank you for, uh, for this past. Thank you for the certainty of your word. Thank you for the certainty of your promises. Our hope is fixed firmly in the reality of those promises. We believe you. We believe you. We believe you by faith, trusting your word that your word is true. Um, absent that, Lord, we're left to our own reason. We're left to our own uh, tradition, our own experience. Uh, the ridiculousness of believing something based upon ourselves being our own authorities. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's outside of us. It's external to us. And it's words on a page. It's objective. We can read it. And we know that it's your word. And we bank our life on it. Lord, forgive our unbelief. Forgive our unbelief. And help us to grow in our belief of the truth of your word. This life will soon be passed. And uh, Father, we need to live by faith, believing your promises to be true, so that we are not ensnared by the trappings of comfort and ease and materialism and pleasure. Father, help us to that end, that we might believe you and live in the reality of that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.